The Recipes for Life podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being, as well as expanded consciousness. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed their health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. Kim Anami is a woman on a mission. She has been coaching with a spiritual synthesis of two decades of Tantra, Taoism, Osho, transpersonal psychology, philosophy, and a host of quantum growth accelerating practices that she uses to propel clients into higher stratospheres of connection, intimacy, energy, and creativity. You're going to love this podcast with Kim. And to find out more about Kim, visit her website at kimanami.com. That's K-I-M-A-N-A-M-I.com. Kim, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. How are you? My pleasure. I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. We have tried to connect over the last year or so to get this podcast happening, and you have a very busy schedule. So once again, thank you so much for uh, being flexible and allowing us the next 45 minutes to an hour to explore what you are renowned for and what you can impart with our listeners is some of your wisdom around sex. (laughs) So this is a different topic for me to explore on the podcast, and I've wanted to save this for you, for you to be able to uh, share your wisdom. So let's get started. You classify yourself as a holistic sex and relationship expert. So what does holistic sex mean to you, or what is the definition of sex for you? Well, for me, I always had a really strong awareness of my sexual energy, even when I was young. And then some of my or my earliest sexual experiences were really powerful and transformative and transcendent. It was like I was entering into new states of consciousness. And so obviously in our culture at large, we have a lot, a huge disconnect with our sexuality. There's so much taboo around sexuality and so much shame around it. And yet my own personal intuitive experiences were so different than that. They were very liberating and enlightening and very self-actualizing. And then I started learning and 
reading about Taoist and tantric sexuality in my early 20s. And I thought, oh, well, this is, so these are cultures who have studied sex and intimacy, and they look at them as tools for enlightenment, for gaining higher states of consciousness. So that sort of definition and framework registered a lot more with my own personal experiences. And then over the years, like as I've had my own journeys and self-education in health and wellness, like everything from psychology and philosophy, meditation, food, exercise, all of these things, for me, sex was always a tool in that toolbox of personal growth methods that I would use to optimize myself. And so my work now as a holistic sex and relationship coach means that I'm looking, applying that same kind of lens of holistic, let's get to the root cause, let's not do harm, let's actually try to find healing from within and apply that to all kinds of sexual issues. Mm, I love it and I love your definition, especially the toolbox because it's something that I, I talk about quite often is we have this toolbox that we, that we I guess, build up over time it evolves over time as well, and, and you, you hit on a few things there, such as food and, and relationships and emotions and, I guess, how we sleep, how we breathe, how we meditate. And sex is usually something that a lot of people don't – I'm generalizing here, but if we talk about mainstream, sex seems to be, as you said, sort of a bit of a taboo subject that a lot of people don't have in their toolbox for that holistic health, I guess, outcome. So how do you see this as changing over the last decade or into the future as well, especially in mainstream Western circles? Well, it's interesting because over the years, like because of my own passion and interest in health and wellness, like I've been, you know, a seeker for about 30 years. And so I've watched as like very few people will, like people will talk about relationships and love, but very few people will go and talk about sex. And even when people would come to me, clients would come to me and say they had gone to see a relationship counselor and the person was like, oh no, I don't talk about sex. And so mm. you still see this, this great divide in even in health and wellness circles where, you know, it's still even in that realm, a taboo subject, but that's changing. And I think what happens is that people see my work and my approach and they're like, oh, you know, they're already doing all of these alternative practices and trying to apply this holistic lens to other areas of their life. And then they realize, oh, okay, I can actually now apply this to my sex life as well. And here's someone who's doing that. Because I often say, like, if I had gone to your kind of typical sex teacher school, like I'd be broke and unsuccessful because so much mm. of Western science is really in the dark about sexuality. And in a wonderful way, I actually mark the change over the last decade as before Fifty Shades of Grey and after Fifty <laughs> Shades of Grey. Honestly, and eat, like say what you like about that book. I've never even read the book or seen the movies because I just whatever. Like I think some of the ideas in there are fantastic. It's just the presentation of them is maybe not my tech cup of tea. But, you know, they they really showed that women especially are craving an outlet for their sexual expression and really craving, and this is a whole other conversation, but craving the presence of a really strong masculine energy in their lives. So obviously that book shoots up whatever it sells, like 200 million copies or whatever it is. And so people start to perk up like, oh, wait, 
this is not only wanted, but it's going to make money. And so then the tune starts to change, right? Like, so mm. previously, and with the whole, you know, onset of, I guess, self-publishing and some of these gatekeepers are changing. But but then again, lots of social media platforms are really, really heavily censor sex. I get censored a lot. But since that time, I think the door is really opened and people are, it's opened up conversations, you know, women sitting on the subway, reading these books, like, you know, talking to all their friends about it, asking their husbands to tie them up and spank them, whatever, right? Like it's opened up this whole conversation. So I feel like that's actually really been a mark for when things have started to shift and people have been able to discuss these things more openly and be honest about desires that they've had and probably shut down in themselves in the past. Mm, it's really interesting. I've just finished a book in Australia. It's my first non-recipe style book, which is coming out later this year, and it's called Heal. And there's basically a hundred different things we, we look at from a holistic point of view. And, and I featured sex in there. And it was so interesting because I handed the manuscript over to the publisher. When I got back the edited manuscript, my, my uh, couple of pages on sex as an introductory topic was basically whittled down to a paragraph. <laughs> and I was wow. like, have we got an issue here? And it was also the same with psychedelics and cannabis and these yeah, types of uh, right. non-duality uh, ways of expanding our consciousness. And they bluntly said basically that mainstream Australia is not ready to discuss these topics as you are presenting them. I'm like, really? Yeah. Well, who knows what's mainstream these days? Because look, what my second largest audience after the US is Australia. Mm. So you guys love my foul mouth and my irreverence because you get it. You guys have a sense of humor. <laughs> you get me. <laughs> we we definitely do. But anyway, it might be baby steps for me and my brand as to how how that gets out there. But that's why the podcast like this is completely free flowing and I guess non restrictive. So uh, thank you for being able to talk about this. And and I want to delve into something here, which which may seem a little bit controversial as well, but is quite important because every podcast that I do, there's the intention for me to go on a learning journey with my guests. So I become the student and that's what I love about doing these podcasts is I bring on the experts in their chosen field. But there's an underlying intention for me as well being a father of two young daughters and one's just about to turn 14 and my other daughter's 12 and a half. And obviously we've had a chat about sex and I would love to take or get your I guess, advice for teenagers that are going through puberty, what would you say to your younger self about these next few years and coming into or the next decade of when that sexual exploration and understanding and identity is going to take place for for not only um, females but also for males? I think the most important thing that, 
people can do, young people can do, and parents can foster is real self-knowledge. So the more, what we really want to do is build high self-esteem, self-confidence in our children so that when they get to this age where there's so much influence, so much pressure, that they're not easily swayed and they're very able to identify their inner truth and their inner voice and their own intuition about what to do and make their own decisions. So for some, that might be waiting to have sex for several years. For others, they might have a really deep, intimate, loving relationship as, you know, younger teenagers. And well, to find young over legal age, obviously, but, mm-hmm. you know, so I, like, I remember one couple come, came to a retreat of mine and they were saying, oh, and they were wildly explorative, like very, very on the edge in many ways, very open. And then yet they had a teenage daughter and they were just like, we don't want her to have sex until she's like 19 and she's <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know, that isn't the point. The point is not to pick an age. It's actually for you guys to do your best to empower your daughter to feel confident and strong. And so if she's able to identify in her own self what feels right for her in the moment, that's the key. That's what we really want to encourage and empower rather than some arbitrary time of their life or a certain a time within a relationship. That's the best work that we can do. And so I think I would really empower a teenage girl, especially to have the ability and confidence to state what they want and be who they are and just express their truth, you know, identify their truth and express their truth and put aside any other judgment or fear of, you know, somebody else's thoughts of what they're doing. Mm. And I guess looking back at my own childhood, uh, the first sexual encounters that we have is usually with ourselves <laughs> through masturbation. Right. And I'd love to hear your your understanding and, and what masturbation means to you? I think the essence, one of the most important elements of self-pleasuring is self-knowledge is getting to know yourself and getting to know how your body responds. Like I have sometimes women clients come to me in their forties and they're saying that they don't even like to put their fingers in their own vaginas. And they've never really done it. They've tried to avoid it their whole lives. Like they can have sex, but the idea of touching themselves is revolting to them. And I think that's revolting. Like, you know, like that's not, we want to have this very open, free relationship. And so I think encouraging, you know, or supporting our children and to self-pleasure and get to know themselves is amazing. And then they have a much more clear sense of how their body responds. Their body's not this big mystery to them. And, you know, the way that I talk about sex and sexual expression isn't just about having sex to have pleasure. Like, because I've got this foothold in ancient ancient Taoist and tantric ideologies, like the basic concepts there are that sexual energy is life force energy. This is the energy that creates new life. And if we're not creating babies with it, then we can tap into this energy as a life force source that we can actually learn how to harness and harvest and harness, I often say, this energy and then infuse it into everything that we do in our lives. So as much as I might have sex for pleasure, I probably even more so have sex as a way to get in tune with this energy and then harvest it and channel it out into my life. And I often say like, you know, my creative projects, like as much as I 
am a sexual healer and a teacher. I'm also what I consider to be an artist or performance artist. And so all of my work, all of my marketing campaigns, like hashtag things with I lift with my vagina, like all of these things, all of the writing in my work all comes from me or what shall I say from my vagina meaning that I'm really aware that I'm using my sexual energy and infusing that out into the world. It's helping to shape and create my life. So as much as, you know, we want to also, we talk about sex and pleasure with our children or friends or partners, whatever, it's also this incredible method to tap into this energy source. And I think that was one of the amazing things that I got out of Taoist and Tantric study is that there wasn't this moral judgment about having sex or, oh, this is bad or good. It was like, no, this is an energy source. This is a health treatment. This is a way to rejuvenate yourself emotionally, psychologically, physically, and spiritually. And so we all ought to know how to practice in a conscious way. So I make a big distinction. You might like this food metaphor between gourmet sex and junk food sex. So the kind of sex that's like throwaway, unconscious, kind of like furtively masturbating to porn in the dim light of the night versus the kind of sex that gets you high, makes you feel deeply connected to yourself, deeply connected to your partner, and you go out into the world and feel like a superstar. You feel like you have this, you're imbued with this halo of grace and beauty and confidence. Mm, I love it. And um, I personally have had uh, tantric sex lessons over the last few decades. And what you're talking about there is that harnessing of energy and I guess honoring our own energy or sexual energy. And I'd love for you to be able to talk about that, how that works with breath work, how it works with um, meditation, and through that process of tantric expression. Well, the whole idea of Tantra and Taoist sexuality is that instead of just dumping out our sexual energy, as most people tend to do, especially most men people, like there's this sort of quick buildup and then this ejection of energy. And men can lose a lot of energy through especially unconscious ejaculation, which is why we see this cliche of men having an orgasm and then rolling over and passing out because they've just depleted themselves of so much energy. So what we aim to do instead is to take that energy, breathe it and recirculate it through our system. So instead of just dumping it out, we're bringing it back into ourselves. We're redistributing it. It gets used as this healing balm within ourselves and as an energy source. And the most important and powerful way to do that is through breath. And most people, when they are getting sexually aroused and they're, especially as they get close to orgasm, they tend to hold the breath, breathe really shallow and tighten up the body. And all of this just curtails the flow of energy. So instead, what we want to practice doing, and you probably don't even know that you're doing it until you bring awareness to it, is long, steady, deep breathing all the way through your sexual encounter, but especially as you approach orgasm. And so what that does instead, as I said, it brings that energy back into you. So when you do that, then you walk away from sex feeling energized instead of tired. And the big Barometric question that I often ask is, does sex make you feel regenerated, pleasured, transformed, life changed, and like you want to run a marathon when you're finished? And if it doesn't, you're doing it wrong. 
And that's not a judgment as much to say that sex is meant to get you high. It's meant to leave you feeling invigorated rather than depleted. And if you're depleted, it means that you've been, like I said, ejecting that energy out rather than recycling it inside of your body. I want to talk to you about the word freedom and what that means to you in relation to sex. When I bring up that word freedom, I talk about it sometimes with uh, different people on the podcast, and it's, it's an interesting thing because we all have our identity, so to speak, that we, we wear or we wear many masks throughout our experience of this life, and to experience complete freedom is to know yourself and to not have any fear. And I just wonder how much fear is wrapped around our sexual identity and what complete freedom means in the sexual context. Right. So, you know, I think that the fact that we have such a strong sexual taboo around period and that most of it originates through religion is deliberate. Like this is if a person isn't in touch with their sexual energy and they're not tapping into this life force, they're operating at a deficiency. And so, you know, the fact that that's become a very, very strong push in almost every culture globally is to suppress people's sexuality makes you wonder, well, why is that? It's not because it's inherently bad or dirty. It's because when people really get in touch with their sexual energy, they become unstoppable and they become these creative powerhouses. And most importantly, I'd say they don't care anymore what other people think about them. So one of the hallmarks when I'm working, especially with women, because women have imposed upon them more sexual blocks than men. Like men are given this permission to be sexual. Oh, men are more sexual than women. It's not true, but that's what we're conditioned to think. And that women kind of have to be talked into sex. They're not just, you know, naturally voracious. It's not true, but that's what we're conditioned to think. So women have a lot more judgment and shame attached to them actually being voracious sexual creatures. And so once women start to really own their sexuality and wear that, then they don't care anymore what people think of them. And they don't care about people's judgments, not just sexually, but in all parts of their lives. And that's what I say people have crossed over the threshold into shedding the inhibitions and the conditioning that they've received over the years. And they start to occupy their true selves and their real sexual energy. And again, like, we say it's not just sexual energy doesn't just mean you're wearing a low cut dress and a mini skirt and you're like pressing your breasts in someone's face. That's actually insecurity. That's not sexual energy, but sexual energy would be this vital, radiant, powerful life force that you're emanating from yourself. And it's not necessarily sex, but it's a vitality. It's this wonderful magnetism and charisma that comes from occupying your sexual energy. So I think that freedom is when you've bypassed then, you've done the internal work to clear blockages, shed that conditioning, release those inhibitions. So you're just able to express the truest essence of who you are, which includes yourself as a sexual being. And that's when I think you truly come into yourself. Like, I don't think anyone can truly self-realize until they've fully connected to their sexual energy. Hmm. Interesting. I love it. I love it so much. Now, first experiences, first sexual experiences. So I understand through the work that I've done over the years is that basically we, we form patterns, patterns or repetitions. 
and they become our habits or our behaviors and again our identities so how often are our first sexual experiences basically ingrained into us that we create patterns around that I guess it depends how much you're committed to personal growth. Like if you're a person who is interested in growing and evolving and changing, then you would look at all parts of your life and think, how can I optimize this? Which would include your sexual experiences. Like most people are going to have, you know, their first sexual experience probably isn't going to be their best because they're new at it. It's like playing mm-hmm. tennis for the first time, right? Like you're not, yeah. you're not going to be going to be an expert out of the gate. What you might be better at though is if you've actually come from a place where you are really in tune with yourself like most teenagers go through this awkward finding themselves being afraid to fully be themselves because of a lot of peer pressure so they are probably not poised to be in the most tuned in place but if somebody is they might have an incredible first experience But I think going beyond that then is like constantly the way I approach life in general is constantly assessing like, where can I do better? Where can I get deeper? How can I optimize this part of my life? Like my diet, my exercise, my sleep, my spiritual practice, my sex life. Like I'm always applying that filter. You know, how can I optimize this? So if a person is always going that route and trying to look at themselves honestly and to grow, then those first experiences don't really mean anything because you'll work through that very quickly. Mm, I like it. And also, you you touched on it there about the evolution of self and talking about nutrition and sexual uh, energy and loving ourselves greater and greater and greater and evolving as as we go through this journey. And I guess the question for for you, and I'm sure you've had this before, is so what is the ultimate goal of sexual union and is there is there a bliss point, a Nevada point that you're working towards or you've achieved and you're sharing with others? And if so, how do we achieve that? I'd say that the point that we want to get to is that barometric question I I asked before, which is, Mm -hmm. does sex really revitalize you, make you feel more closely connected to yourself and to your partner? And I guess quantitatively speaking, there's certain things like I'd say for women, having vaginal orgasms, like G-spot orgasms, cervical orgasms that are hallmarks of someone who's gotten to much more deep levels of surrender. And, you know, some of the, what I talk about in getting to those places are like radical honesty, like in an intimate relationship, I believe that's a place where to get to these gourmet sex places, you really have to open up, surrender, let go, be vulnerable, let your guard down and come to your partner in that place and live in that place. Like you two are each other's sanctuary and safe place. And this is where you come to refuel, but you can't actually refuel properly if you have guards and walls up against each other. So, so many people subsist in their intimate relationships, living from these kind of guarded defense mechanism places that they adapt to over time and they just don't feel very juicy anymore. Like, you know, when you first get together with someone and you're really 
expressive and you prioritize the relationship and you have these deep, like stay up all night type conversations. And then you want to have sex all night because you're constantly open and communicating with each other. And over time, people just stop prioritizing their relationships. And so the quality of the connection diminishes and the quality of the sex diminishes and then the quality of the honesty diminishes. And all of those things are key factors. So I believe that lifelong, passionate, deep, intense, multi-orgasmic, life-changing sex is possible for everyone, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. And it, but it takes conscious commitment, like to prioritize your intimate life. And most people, once they've kind of locked in the relationship, they'll let that fall to the bottom of the list of their priorities. And then they have children and then they use children as an excuse, like not to be so sexual and intimate. And it's really a matter in a big way of prioritizing. And I love to tell a story of a couple who came to one of my Bali retreats and they were both on their second marriages. And they had been in previous first marriages that were both sexless, miserable marriages, like long-term 10, 15 years. And both of them, when they divorced and they had the courage to divorce, a lot of people don't. A lot of people stay in those sort of situations for economic, social, whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. And they split and they said, look, you know, they it's individually to each other, like, next relationship, I'm going to put this at the top of my list. I'm really going to make this work. So they met each other. They both had, they had five children between them, both really high powered positions. He was the CEO of a huge corporation. She was upper level management and they have sex every single day without fail. And that's because they prioritize it and they, it's a non-negotiable for them. And they came to my retreat, not because they had problems, which most people come because there's something they want to improve. No, no. They came because they were like, what can we do better? We sure. already have an amazing sex life. This woman is, a, you know, she's meant to be an expert. We like what she has to say. What could she teach us to make this even better? So they're an outstanding example of people and anyone can do that. You know, but they made it a priority. They went through this, you know, sort of first lifetime of pain and misery and were like, you know what? I think this can be different and I'm going to make sure it is different the next time. <laughs> so that, I guess what, you do retreats all around the world and teach people this. And what do you get out of it personally? Like why are you attracted to share this knowledge? Because I'm good at it, because I can go to places that people usually are too afraid to go to. So because I've got 30 years behind under my belt now, haha, under my belt, um, is that like there are things that I've seen in my own life, my own relationships, and in the relationships now of like thousands of clients and students where I can assertively say, okay, this is the truth. Like, for example, I make, I call it the Anami guarantee. Like every woman can have every different types of orgasm. So in the Western pseudo scientific vernacular, they would say, oh, you know, only some women can have G spot orgasms or only some women can ejaculate. Where I would say, no, no, no. I guarantee 100% every single woman on the planet can. She just needs to learn how and unlock whatever energetic, emotional blockages are preventing her from getting there. So I say that with absolute certainty. And most people who might think that they're a sex teacher or went to school to study sex, like read this in a book, like they wouldn't have the same kind of confidence because they haven't, they haven't lived it. Or so because I've been my... Oh, my own guinea pig for all these many years and so much 
pretty much all of my body of work is the cumulative result of all of my own interests and explorations. And then of course, like working with clients and adding to that sort of repository of knowledge is I can say these things and I know these things and then I'm confident to take on the dominant paradigm, right? So I would take on anyone in this, you know, whatever Western medical sphere who might say, oh no, there isn't a G-spot in. And I'd say like, fuck there isn't, you know, there absolutely is. And I will explain, you know, bring me any woman and I will help her find her G-spot, you know? Mm. So I have that. And then because I'm kind of irreverent and, and, and I don't care what other people think of me. So I'm quite happy to go out there and say these things and express myself. And, you know, I don't give a shit what somebody else thinks about me or has to say, like, I'll stand up for what I know is true. So I think there's a lot of things that make me kind of uniquely positioned to be able to do this work and do it confidently and easily. And I think that I just having my own experiences that showed me such a different view of sex, where I said sex was like this deep, spiritual, intimate, self-realizing thing that I've just felt like that's part of what I need to share in the world because everybody else is getting these untruths told to them about what sex is or isn't. And instead they're listening to these ideas that, oh no, you're now in menopause. You're going to have to take hormones for the rest of your life. Or, oh no, you know, oh, you can't have these kinds of orgasms. Don't worry, little girl, pat you on the head. So I, you know, or, oh, that men need Viagra after a certain age. Like I say that all of these things are false and I have found ways working holistically to help people in every single area that West medicine would give them some kind of a death sentence, you know, or if not a death sentence, an organ removal sentence or a drug and prescription sentence where I would say, no, <laughs> there are many ways to do this that do not involve that. You can keep all of your organs. You can be an intact whole person, a multi-orgasmic, ejaculating menopausal woman, a man who can make love to his partner for nine hours straight. All of these things are possible. <laughs> which is why you're so uh, so in demand all around the world. I'd, I'd like to talk about uh, sexual attraction as well or energetic attraction and, and what you've uncovered over the years as to why somebody can be walking into a room and all of a sudden there's that spark of electricity. Well, I guess there's all kinds of different theories about it and it depends how what you think of in terms of energy and the kind of invisible threads or things that we react to. Like, have you ever read Malcolm Gladwell's Blink book? Not yet. So he talks about how like they do all these experiences or these experiments and he cites all these studies and situations where it basically proves I guess you could say like a kind of telepathy or that we pick up on things before we know them so they would do these experiments where I don't remember some of the good ones, but like it would be like people would be getting dealt a series of cards and they would then read the autonomic nervous system responses of these people, like heart rate elevation or blood pressure or whatever, like temperature rising. And so their bodies would respond to what was going to be like, say they were going to lose the hand or lose the bat or whatever. Their body would know before the cards got given to them. 
right? So let's say the last card was going to be the card that either made them win the bet or lose the bet or whatever. And they would have all these reactions before they got the card. Mm. So it was a whole series of all these examples in the book about this. So I think that, you know, we have different dimensions to ourselves. Like I, I believe that we are a soul and we inhabit a physical body and that we're here to learn and to grow and to love and to ultimately most importantly, learn how to love. And so I believe that when we see someone from across the room or we touch them or we lock eyes with them, we already on this much deeper level, we know who they are. We either know who they are, we recognize this person as being a teacher or, uh, you know, a connection or a karmic debt or something, you know, something that we're going to have a need to connect with this person. So our body's telling us that. So that's my theory is that we, we know on these deeper levels that these people are going to be meaningful to us in whatever, whether that's a short-term or long-term capacity. Hmm. You mentioned the word love there, and we haven't gone into that so far with this conversation. And I'd like to get uh, your understanding of, of what that actually means to, to fall in love or be in love or to love oneself or other unconditionally. Well, I think starting with the other, to me, love is really about openness and you can be with someone and have affection or fondness with them. But the real thing that takes you over the edge is to open your heart, is to let down your guard and to be vulnerable and then to exist in that place. And to me, that's what being in love is, is that you're coming from this unguarded, very open, raw kind of place. And you live there with the people that you, who you love deeply. And so for me, like what I try to cultivate this idea of gourmet sex is that that's the magic ingredient is surrender slash love slash openness. And that it would be, you know, pretty hard to have gourmet sex where your heart is open, your guard is down, you really are emotionally available with someone you don't know very well. And that's not a judgment like, you know, of like whatever people are doing. It's not a moral judgment. It's just simply like an energetic quality that, you know, comes with cultivation and time and practice. And in terms of self-love, I mean, it's similar in that we're having this unconditional acceptance of ourselves. We feel happy and joyous in our own skin. And I think a lot of that has to do with clearing our own past. Like if we've done things in the past that we feel badly about, if we don't clear that, make amends for it, try to give back to the world in some way, we carry a kind of self-loathing and perpetual guilt punishment. And so the onus is on us to really do the work, to clear that space within ourselves so we can truly enjoy being in our own skin. And the same thing applies to intimate relationships is like, if you've got stuff that's outstanding. Like, let's say there was an argument that you had at breakfast time and you didn't get a chance to really resolve it and talk through it. So then in the evening you go to bed and you try to have sex, but you didn't really resolve that argument. That's going to show up in bed. Like either maybe the woman doesn't get fully lubricated or the man doesn't get fully hard or he comes too quickly or it just doesn't really feel very good. That's because this thing is still lingering in the ethers that then shows up as a type of blockage. And you take that even further, like let's say a couple has had years of stuff that has not been fully processed within them. So they just kind of sweep it under the rug. They don't really express their truth or their, you know, the fact that they're not really over this thing, then that accumulates in the bed and in the emotional energy field between the couple and that ends up being this wall that's built between them 
And so the constant work in a partnership is to continually take that wall and remove it, right? Like if your partner said something that maybe was insulting, it's like acknowledging that and talking about it and clearing it and releasing it rather than just kind of internalizing it, feeling, and then you build up a little bit of a wall and then you build up a little bit more of a wall and a little bit more and a little bit more and until you've got this actual brick wall between the two of you and you can't even see each other anymore. So you're not feeling emotionally safe and connected and you definitely aren't feeling sexually connected. So it's such a huge component of that deep gourmet, like life-changing sex experience and lifestyle that you need to feel very safe to be vulnerable with your partner. And if you're holding on to all kinds of resentment and past hurts and stuff that you haven't resolved, then that will manifest as barriers that you put up as defense mechanisms. Mm. Beautifully said. Body image is a really interesting one that I've seen quite often in the media these days. And obviously, I'd love to be able to understand your thoughts about how to really you're in a relationship with someone, you're a little bit insecure if you are about how your body looks or something about being naked in front of somebody. What are some of your, what's your advice to people that may feel like they're, they're not off the cover of a magazine type thing and, and they want to ex- express themselves sexually in all their beauty? Right. Well, my view is own it or change it. So if you are, you, if you, so you, you said, right, like if someone's feeling insecure about their body, well, they're choosing to feel insecure. Why are they feeling insecure? Do they think that they don't look the way somebody else looks? And if that's the case, then either own it or change it. You either make a decision, like I'm going to own, let's say someone has what we might think of as like 20 extra pounds on, right? They're either going to own that and just be like, this is who I am, love it or leave it. I'm going to choose to love it. And then you have to practice loving it and stop going down these sort of mental spirals of self-loathing or you change it and you go, well, you know what? I'd actually rather be more fit and more athletic and get into better physical shape. So I'm going to do it. And the moment that you get into action, then you start to build your confidence right away. But to me, it's like, it's a cop out to live somewhere in between. You know, you can't be not owning it and not changing it. You know, you have to pick one road or the other. Mm. You talked about the long-term relationships before and making sex a priority and intimacy a priority. So anybody entering a new relationship, your advice to them, would it be exactly the same? Yeah. I mean, the more open you can be with your partner and express yourself, like I think there's been this idea that we need to play games. Like when I was in my twenties and thirties, I would always date men. I had an over 45 rule because I felt like once men got to that age, they stopped playing games. It was like, I like you, you like me, let's get on with it. But up until that point, it was like, oh no, you have to wait three days to call this person. And like, it was all this (laughs) stuff. And I really, I guess, encourage people to just show up as your true, honest self and, you know, talk about what you want and put it out there that you want a conscious sexual relationship, which means that you I, you do prioritize sex, but in a, in a conscious way. So it's not just as this throwaway, let's have sex to go to sleep kind of idea, but as a way to actually grow yourselves, grow the relationship and to heal. That's what we can use sex for. And, and, that, and I mean that in a gourmet sex, love infused type relationship. 
So I would be open about these things from the beginning and really show your true self and your true colors. Because if people, it's love it or leave it. Like you develop a certain kind of confidence by doing that. And that is actually what becomes the most attractive. And we attract the level that we're at. And so if you're going out into the world and you're trying to like not show certain parts of yourselves or hides, that's exactly what you're going to attract in a partner is someone who's also hiding and also not really showing up. So the more you elevate the entire relationship, the more that you do work on yourself to, to hunt your own demons, to find the places in yourself that you don't feel so good about and then own them or change them right? Mm -hmm. You own like, I'm, I'm a slob, you know, I'm not saying I'm, but I mean, it's like, say <laughs> someone's like really messy. They're like, well, I'm really messy. Like love it or leave it, you know, rather than trying to fake, like you either accept it. And then if you, you know, eventually move in with someone, you'll have to ne negotiate through that <laughs> one. But like, you'd like, this is who I am, right? Take it or leave it. And if you've got habits that are like, nobody would take, then you've got some work to do. <laughs> but otherwise there's such beauty and power in being really honest. And then that's what you'll attracting your partner. So you have to remember, like when people start to look at other people and project like, oh, that person's emotionally closed or that person's unavailable. Or, oh, I'm always attracting men who are blah, 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 or women who are blah, blah, blah. No, you're actually attracting exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. You cannot attract someone who's not at the same level that you are, like attracts like. So if you think that you keep repeating a pattern that you don't like, then the onus is on you to look at yourself, shine the harsh light of honesty on yourself and see where you have room to improve. And then do that work, elevate yourself, change yourself, and then you will up-level your, yourself to the next plane where you then attract somebody who's on this higher level of existence. <laughs> such, such wise words. And you're a surfer. Him. And I am a surfer. And uh, I'd love to know the analogy between surfing and sex for you. Well, I, let's see. I mean, there's so many, but I think one of the great, the thing that probably most surfers would say they love is when you have this moment of union with the wave and you do all the work to position yourself, right? Like you, you learn how to read waves. You have to be strong enough to paddle into a good wave. And then once you get that wave and you get up and you're on it, then you get into this kind of mindless and really intuitive and connected place with nature, with the wave, with the energy, the direction of the wave, and you ride it. And I think the ultimate in lovemaking is when you're in the same kind of place. And like, to me, that precursor work would be that emotional communication, doing the space, doing your own self block clearing. So then when you get to that place with your partner and you slide into it, you get to this place of just wordless communication, intuitive knowing like this dance, right? Where you just kind of move back and forth and you have this beautiful rhythm together. And that's to me like very, very analogous because that's what we're all looking for is that place where the mind shuts off and we're in pure flow. And I think both you can get extremely high levels of that in the highest pinnacle of lovemaking and in riding a wave. Mm, beautiful. Uh, the word flow was was going through my mind the whole time you were talking about that. It's beautiful that you finished off with that. This has been a wonderful podcast and a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Kim. And I'd love to finish off with just a question that I ask all my guests is, what's one of your ingredients for a happy and successful life that 
you would love to share with the listeners. And it doesn't have to be with food or it could be to do with food or it could be with any, any part of your life that you think is non-negotiable for yourself. The word that's coming to mind is truth. And I guess it's about expressing my truth in all parts of my life. And whether that's being really open and honest with my intimate partner, whether that's, you know, confronting someone where I might be nervous about a confrontation and having to speak a deep truth, you're afraid maybe someone will get, you know, her feelings hurt, but like really being loyal to the idea of truth as a guiding principle. And that like, really the truth will set you free. Like there is no, nothing wrong or bad can come ever out of telling the truth. And even like, let's say this would even apply to, let's say you have a bad moment where you are not as polite as you could be to like, a bank representative on the telephone, which I've been in that position and then go back and say, you know what? I was at a line. I'm sorry. Like to me, that's a version of truth, right? Is to acknowledge and really try to be in check with your truth, like all the time, whether you're doing right and expressing love and being courageous in that, or you've done wrong and you have to correct that and be courageous in that too. So somehow to me, it all comes back to this notion of truth. Mm, and you mentioned that earlier on in the podcast as well. You mentioned the word truth and uh, I clicked onto that too. So thank you for sharing. Kim, thank you so much for your time today. And people will be able to find you on your website and look for some of your retreats and check out all the work. I mean, I love following you on Instagram. There's always a good laugh and, and good education in your words. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, the Australians get your language and sense of humor. And it's actually been quite a G-rated podcast, which is interesting. It wasn't what I thought it would be. So uh, thank you for your honesty and thank you for your truth. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we love you and look forward to connecting again in the future. Thanks, Kim. Fantastic. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast podcast.